The MarTech Podcast is a proud member of the I Hear Everything Podcast Network. Looking to launch or scale your podcast? I Hear Everything delivers podcast production, growth, and monetization solutions that transform your words into profit. Ready to give your brand a voice? Then visit IHearEverything.com. From advertising to software as a service to data, Across all of our programs and clients, we've seen a 55 to 65% open rate. Getting brands authentically integrated into content performs better than TV advertising. Typical lifespan of an article is about 24 to 36 hours. If we're reaching out to the right person with the right message and a clear call to action, then it's just a matter of timing. Welcome to the MarTech Podcast, a Ben J. Shap LLC production. In this podcast, you'll hear the stories of world-class marketers that use technology to drive business results and achieve career success. We'll unearth the real-world experiences of some of the brightest minds in the marketing and technology space so you can learn the tools, tips, and tricks they've learned along the way. Now here's the host of the MarTech Podcast, Benjamin Shapiro. Welcome to Marketing Superstar Week on the MarTech Podcast. Every day this week, we're going to talk to one of the most well-recognized marketers in the world. Joining us today is Rand Fishkin, who is the co-founder and CEO of SparkToro, which helps entrepreneurs, marketers, and product folks of all stripes uncover the publications and people that influence their target audience. SparkToro's powerful dataset contains 70 million public web and social profiles with a simple-to-use research tool that's free to try. And prior to founding SparkToro, Rand was the founder of Moz, a leader in the field of search engine optimization tools, resources, and community. And he's also the author of multiple books, including The Art of SEO, Inbound Marketing and SEO, and his most recent work, Lost and Founder. All right, here's the first installment of Marketing Superstar Week, where Rand and I discuss his tips for building a startup. All right, here's my first conversation with Rand Fishkin, co-founder and CEO of SparkToro. Rand, welcome to Marketing Superstar Week on the MarTech Podcast. Benjamin, thank you for having me. Great to be here. It's an honor and a privilege. You know, you and I talked on my other podcast, the Voices of Search podcast. You're like the biggest name in search engine optimization, and you haven't worked in that industry in... Three years. Yeah, I was going to say, is it a decade? But it feels like a long time. Yeah, it's been three years, and yet... It is one of the oddest things in the world being sort of strongly associated with a field you haven't worked in in several years. I mean, I I get it. I understand it. But it's also strange. I think it's like Matt Cutts when he left Google, when he went to work for the federal government. (laughs) And folks are like, oh, you you still must be at Google. You know, I'm emailing you five years later and being like, hey, can you fix my website? (laughs) He's like, what? Yeah. (laughs) Something tells me that he's not responding to those emails. And fortunate for us, you responded to an email request from me. You were reaching out for product feedback. And so naturally, I reached out to you and said, I don't have any product feedback for you, but would you like to be a guest on a podcast? And here we are. So, hey, I appreciate you being our guest. It's an honor to have you on the show. I want to start off our conversation. We're going to cover a couple different topics this week, a little bit about your tips for growing companies, some marketing operation strategies. And I'm actually, at the end of the week, we're going to talk a little bit about what your life is like as a celebrity in the marketing field. <laughs> Let's start off from the beginning, building startups, something that you've done multiple times. 
Not only did you start Moz, you started SparkToro, an up-and-coming growth company centered around helping people find who their target audience is. You wrote the book on starting startups, Lost and Founder. Tell us a little bit about some of the things, some of your strategies. Give us an overview of what's in the book, Lost and Founder. Sure. For many folks who've read a lot of business books, I think Lost and Founder is a significant departure because it does not take one concept and pepper you with details and examples and evidence, case studies and research chapter after chapter, which is what most business books do, because it's very, very compelling from a marketing and product standpoint as a business book to have a singular idea that you can describe in a few sentences and sort of, you know, the Wikipedia version will give you like 80% of the book's content. Lost and Founder is not that. It is a series of lessons learned over a long 15, 17-year lifespan of building a technology startup that was almost a breakout superstar, unicorn type of company, but did not quite make it, right? Moz sort of had this rapid growth trajectory to about $40 million in revenue per year, looked like it might have been a candidate for IPO if that had a couple more, maybe three more years of growth at those rates, but instead plateaued and then struggled and experienced a lot of hardship, had layoffs, all that kind of stuff. And so rather than keep that to myself, which I think is what most startup founders who experience those types of struggles do, I decided to be as transparent about the struggles and the failure and the things that didn't go well as the success stories are about here's what we did and why we're amazing. That resonates with me. I've read a fair amount of the sort of methodology type books. You know, the Lean Startup was the first one that comes to mind, which is like test and iterate, like one sentence, not even a sentence, a phrase. (laughs) There you go. You read the book, test and iterate. And obviously I'm distilling the Lean Startup down probably too much, but hearing the real life tales and struggles of entrepreneurship sometimes is as awakening as the practices that you should apply. I guess my next question for you is a special thanks to our presenting sponsor, Mutinex, ready to take your team from I think to I know. Then join brands like Samsung, ING, and Asahi who make better marketing decisions with Mutinex. Mutinex Growth OX, the marketing mixed modeling platform that makes measuring ROI fast, easy, and cost-effective. Request a demo at mutinex.co. That's M-U-T-I-N-E-X dot co. Time for a one-minute break to hear from our presenting sponsor, Mutinex. In 1919, John Wanamaker said, half the money I spend on advertising is wasted. I just don't know which half. Well, the advertising landscape has changed since then, and instead of reaching your audience on two channels, you're probably reaching them on 20. Turns out John didn't know how easy he had it. But that doesn't mean that you should give up on striving towards marketing effectiveness. No matter how complex your marketing strategy is, Mutinex Growth OX is the market mix modeling platform that measures the impact of marketing on your bottom line. Mutinex's market mix modeling platform calibrates your insights against the latest market conditions so you can make media and marketing investment decisions confidently and quickly. Ready to take your team from I think to I know? Then join brands like Samsung, ING, and Asahi who make better marketing decisions with Mutinex. Mutinex Growth OX, your best decision starts here. To learn more about Mutinex, go to mutinex.co. That's M-U-T-I-N-E-X dot co. 
Okay, here's the rest of today's interview. Why are you starting companies? You know, you've been a founder multiple times. Why are you so driven to start something from the beginning as opposed to take the success and influence you have and work for established companies? Or why be a founder? There's a multitude of reasons, but the reality for sure with Moz was that it was a completely accidental, fell into a situation. You know, I dropped out of college, didn't have a whole lot of ideas of what I wanted to do other than work in web design and making websites. Started doing that in high school, actually, and then into college for my mom's business. My mom, Jillian, had been running this small business marketing consultancy in the late 90s. Her clients started needing websites. So I like fell into this practice, joined her company full time. Then it sort of struggled and turned into this SEO play. So I was a very accidental CEO, very accidentally, in a lot of ways, like raised money. I got pitched by VCs instead of the other way around. And then when I left Moz, I will tell you, I had a ton of fear about whether I was talented or lucky. I don't know if other folks like have that fear that you are not really as good as maybe other people in the world think you are. Like you, you know, you when you introduced me on the show, Benjamin, you're like, oh, marketing celebrity. Yeah, come on. <laughs> marketing superstar. You also seem like a regular guy, which is probably the biggest compliment I could give you is, God, you're like a big name in the marketing industry. And in person, you don't seem like a schmuck. I really hope not. I wash my own toilet bowls occasionally, right? Like, I'm just like everybody else. Thankfully, I don't think I have yet ascended to that weird world of like people with too much money who are disconnected from humanity. But I will say that one of my big reasons for writing Lost and Founder and then for starting Spark Toro was to lean into the discomfort of being a founder who had not made it all the way to what a venture-backed company's success is supposed to be, and also to be able to try again under a different set of circumstances. So, you know, I did have maybe two offers when I left Moz. You know, I had like two companies reach out that were reasonably real offers to join those companies and make much, much more money than I'm making now at my own company. And yeah, had conversations with Geraldine, my wife, about whether that was something that was interesting for me and determined that I would not be truly happy there. I could probably contribute. I could probably make some money. It could probably make us a little more comfortable and secure for the future. And thankfully, Geraldine and I were both willing to prioritize my personal life satisfaction and professional satisfaction over putting in four or five years of grind at places that maybe I didn't love or support fully in order to be able to do what I wanted to do, which is really to make a dent in two kinds of worlds, right? SparkToro is, I hope, Benjamin, I hope it is making a huge difference for a lot of people in the market research and marketing world giving them data that they never had before. And also, I hope that in the further out future, if SparkToro is a success, it can serve as an example of how to build a different kind of company in terms of how it's founded, how it's backed. We have a very unique investment structure that some other companies have been using and some other seed funds have been using and when we designed ourselves. And it also does not require us to be a billion-dollar unicorn or even to get to... 10 million or $100 million in revenue in order to be a smashing success for us, for our customers, 
for a team that we might build and for our investors, which is super unusual. You wouldn't think you can do it, but you can if you structure it right. Yeah, it's interesting. As you're describing what you consider to be success and failure, I'm thinking about where we are in the life cycle of growing the MarTech business and, and our company. I mentioned to you before we started, you know, we had some big news with a long-term sponsorship that's coming, which hopefully will change the trajectory of the business that we're working on and we'll make announcements down the road. And my first reaction as the founder of the media company that we're running is don't change anything. Keep operating like we are because the goal isn't to get to this point. It's to get to like three points from here. And it's interesting to hear from you where you're like, yeah, you know, on some level, Moz to me sounds like a breakout success as a founder where you built a company to, you know, $40 million in revenue. That sounds like an astronomic amount of money when you're the founder. That's 40 million bucks a year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And on the flip side, like there's some emotion in your voice where you sound like that experience wasn't as successful as you wanted it to be. So... I mean, what's crazy, what's super surprising to so many people in my world, when I talk to folks in the marketing universe or folks like yourself, and I tell them like, oh, I know people who run companies that make a million dollars a year who are technically far more successful than I ever was with Moz because of what the criteria for success are. When you change the definition of what success means, you alter who gets to be considered a success and what that means. And look, once you raise those first venture dollars, it is a super different set of requirements for success versus failure. And everything stuck in the middle is not success. I think that's one of the biggest things that people that want to found a company don't comprehend when they get started. The different paths that you can go down you know, I think that the stereotypical, I'm going to start a company, I'm going to take an angel investment, then venture capital, and I'm going to try to grow the company to be a billion dollar company. And if it becomes a billion dollar company, I am going to be successful. And there are multiple different routes. You know, we've self-funded and bootstrapped and we're part of the creator universe. So I didn't have to take any funding for this business. Sounds like you've got a different structure in your business. When you think about the different types of fundraising and then what the goals are related to them. Do you have some sort of segmentation, you know, bootstraps, angel investments, VC? Like, talk to me about how you think of the different options. So I think there are a bunch of different ways. There's completely bootstrapped, which tends to mean no outside investment whatsoever from anyone else. But it usually means investment from a relatively well-off founder or set of founders right? Very, very rare that in fact, you can start a company with no money whatsoever. Not impossible. And certainly in the media world, there are some people who've done that. The consulting world has some people who've done that. Then there's kind of crowdfunding, like you raise money from customers and potential customers. Then there's what I sort of term all of the indie funding. So independent kinds of funding that don't match the classic angel venture model. And then finally, angel venture model, which is very well structured and well known. There's a couple others you can technically do bank financed or credit card financed. I did that in the early years of Moz. It is super high risk. <laughs> and I'm not sure I'd totally recommend that either. But maybe it's not as bad as venture. I don't know. It's a tough call. I think that with all of those different types of fundraising and sort of capitalization for your business, 
the end goals of what is considered success, right? What trickles down radically different. to the owners, right? Billion dollar company as opposed to million dollar company. If you're bootstrapped, you know, like a media creator, like our business, we haven't taken any funding and you make a million bucks a year, you got to pay for your resources and you get hundreds of thousands of dollars of revenue. Hopefully that works that way. Wouldn't that be nice? Amazing. That's a wonderful business, right? And you can choose to pay your employees more and you can choose to invest in causes that you like and you can choose to structure and do whatever you want with your business if you decide that it's no longer a match for you. You're like, gosh, I'm burnt out. I'm tired. I want to take a few years off. Great. I'm going to hire someone to run the company for me. I'm going to do something else. Yeah. That works great. You can totally do that. I generally call those lifestyle businesses, right? I can run the business how I want. It meets my lifestyle and it has growth potential. And then when it's done, I can hopefully offload it for some sort of an exit. The exit will be relatively small because the revenue is relatively small and you get to move on to your next project. I think that is a good description. And also I want to recognize that the adjective lifestyle business is used as an insulting pejorative to demean founders by the venture community, the tech community, the startup community into believing that they're not good enough. They don't have what it takes to build a real business. I cannot tell you how many calls I've gotten on with investors who are like, oh, sounds like a lifestyle business. Well, give us a call if you ever decide to get serious. Let me tell you, that is powerful. It is the same thing that the high school jocks used to do to us nerds, right? Like It's such bullshit. It's like, actually, who's the one making the right decision? The guy that's going to take money and have to like have unrealistic expectations put on him all the time or the guy or girl that's going to get to run their business the way that they want and optimize for the things that are best for them and their life and the people in the organization. I don't know. I mean, lifestyle business to me doesn't sound bad. Yeah. I mean, what if your goal in life is not to make billionaires richer? If that is your goal, then venture capital is a terrible asset class for you, right? Because the goal of venture capital is to make billionaires richer. Not exclusively, but almost exclusively because of where the money comes from, the LPs, right? The limited partners that put money into venture capital funds, right? the venture capitalists themselves, who usually are millionaires, but not billionaires, and then where that money goes when it does pay out. That doesn't make me excited. Like I think about all those years at Moz where I'm like, man, I worked really hard with the hope that those LPs would make a few hundred million more dollars on their billions of dollars of cash. Why? What? Why was I doing that? Yeah. Honestly, I think that for a lot of businesses that are something for everyone, the Ubers of the world, right? Like changing transportation, smartphone development, those are businesses that require so much money and they have such a high ceiling in terms of what the businesses could be. Venture capital makes a lot of sense. I think that there's the misinterpretation of what success is from the founder community that makes people think that they need venture capital money to be successful. And I don't mean to talk negatively about the venture capitalists. If I had a billion dollars, I'd be doing the same thing, right? <laughs> like, this is how I take my money and use this leverage. I think it's really, really useful as you get older in life, right, to realize how much of the world is governed by incentives. Essentially, everyone is optimizing for the incentives of their particular environment and a lot of us, because of the incentives of our environment, have a very difficult time being empathetic to other ideas or considering whether the thing that we're doing might not be the best thing for the world. So the last question I have for you today, 
you mentioned kind of three or four different classes of capitalization for a business. Bootstrap, you own it all yourself. Venture capital, you're paying the man, right? Or you're working for the man on some level. And then there's those two intermediate classes that you had. And one of them, I think you called indie fundraising. Talk to me about not only the way that those mechanics work, but also what are the incentives for the investors and the founders? Because they have to be somewhat different than the venture capital incentives. So there's a wide range, unlike venture capital, which has a very well-established structure that almost every angel investor, almost every venture capitalist follows, there are a very wide range of indie funding options. Like that could be carved into its own 50 different sets. What's great about them is you can find one that works really well for you and your business and how you feel that business is going to grow. You know, you can look at something like ClearBank, which is funding for e-commerce businesses primarily, although now they're starting to do SaaS and software and tech and other things too, where they sort of like analyze your business, look at how much revenue you're making and how much you can afford to give them back in profits over time. And they sort of come in if your trajectory matches. Or you can look at something like Tiny Seed, which uses SparkToro's investment model. And full disclosure, Geraldine and I are investors in Tiny Seed. And that's a, hey, we're going to invest on the promise of what your business looks like. It has to be subscription recurring revenue and if it looks promising, we'll invest. And if and when that takes off, we take a percent of your profits for the long term, which is how SparkToro works as well. Our investors take a percent of profits for the long term, which works great. If we don't make profit, they don't make any money. But if we do, everybody's winning. So it incentivizes just a very different kind of structure. What I like in the world and as a business owner, and I think can be compelling for a lot of other business owners, is analyzing what makes sense to you, how you want to contribute to the world around you, whether you want to build a big business with thousands of employees, or whether you want to build a small business that's profitable and sustainable and lasts for a long time, whether you believe that small and medium businesses are good for the world and the ecosystem around you, or whether you think one or two monopolies dominating this space is what you're really excited about. Great. You pick the one that works for you. That is what I would recommend folks do. And I think, unfortunately, the media ecosystem around startups has biased almost everyone to think first of angel and venture, when in fact, angel and venture model is the classic one is wrong for like 99% of businesses. And even venture capitalists say that. Yeah. If your business is on the trajectory or has the capability to be a unicorn, a billion dollar business. Those models make a lot of sense. It's not for everyone. Take it from the guy who's done it a couple times. Rand, excited to have you on the show. If I haven't mentioned yet, we're going to bring you back tomorrow and talk to you a little bit about actually operating startups and growing your company. So that wraps up this episode of the MarTech Podcast. Thanks for listening to my conversation with Rand Fishkin, the co-founder and CEO of SparkToro. If you'd like to hear more of Rand and my conversation, we're going to publish an episode every day this week. So hit the subscribe button in your podcast app and check back with us tomorrow morning when Rand and I talk about learning from your customers and your market. If you can't wait until our next episode and you'd like to get in touch with Rand, you can find a link to his LinkedIn profile in our show notes. You can contact him on Twitter. His handle is Randfish, R-A-N-D-F-I-S-H. Or you could visit his company's website, which is sparktoro.com, S-P-A-R-K-T-O-R-O.com. Or you can find his most recent book, Lost and Founder, at sparktoro.com slash book.
Just one more link in our show notes that I'd like to tell you about. If you didn't have a chance to take notes while you were listening to this podcast, head over to martechpod.com where we've got summaries of all of our episodes and contact information for our guests. You can also subscribe to our once a week newsletter and you can even send us your topic suggestions or your marketing questions, which we'll answer live on our show. Of course, you can always reach out on social media. Our handle is martechpod, M-A-R-T-E-C-H-P-O-D on LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, or you can contact me directly my handle is Ben J. Shap, B-E-N-J-S-H-A-P. And if you haven't subscribed yet and you want a daily stream of marketing and technology knowledge in your podcast feed, we're going to publish an episode every day this year. So hit the subscribe button in your podcast app and we'll be back in your feed tomorrow morning. All right, that's it for today. But until next time, my advice is to just focus on keeping your customers happy. Thanks for listening to the MarTech Podcast, and I hear everything production. Looking to launch or scale a podcast like this one for your brand? Then visit IHearEverything.com.